If you would, please take your Bibles open to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, as we continue our series on the Psalms, coming to Psalm 130 today, and if you were able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. The word of God says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we recognize that your word is God-breathed. You are the supreme author of the Bible. It is exactly what you wanted to communicate to us. And today, as we come to Psalm 130, open our ears and hearts to receive your word. God, if there is hard soil, hard ground out there today, break it up that it might become fertile soil to receive your precious truths. Take away the thorns, take away the rocks, we pray, and open our hearts unto thee. If there is one here who has never trusted Christ for salvation, we pray that for that person, that he or she may come to know you savingly today. For believers here today, Father, may we be encouraged and challenged by your word. May we learn about your love towards us and about our proper response back to you, Father. Enable us to love you and love others as you have called us, we pray. Bless this time of preaching, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Well, today, all across our great country, preachers are standing in pulpits, again, all across this nation, but there's a tendency today for preachers to stay away from one central topic. They don't want anything to do with it anymore, and that's the topic of sin. You see, the topic of sin has become so offensive to so many people, it's a politically incorrect thing to preach on because... If you talk about sin, you have to talk about other things like death, the wrath of God, and even a place called hell. And today, people don't want to hear about any of those topics. Those are offensive topics. Let's not preach on those topics. Rather, let's preach on other things. So preachers turn to other topics and they preach on self-esteem. They preach on politics, whatever is the latest story in the paper that day. They preach on just being 
a moral person, but their tendency is to stay away from the very thing that is man's greatest need, and that is dealing with his own sin. Listen to this quote by John MacArthur. He said this, a gospel that does not confront sin is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan continues his efforts to make sin less offensive, heaven less appealing, hell less horrific, and the gospel less urgent. So I think today the need for Jesus Christ to atone for our sins, the need for the gospel of grace, it's less valued by people in the church because it's less valued by the preachers who are supposed to be preaching that gospel. And people don't see their need to deal with their own sin and their need for repentance. My professor at RTS, Dr. Douglas F. Kelly, once said it this way. He said, if you don't preach sin... You can't preach repentance. And repentance is one of man's greatest needs. We've learned this over the past couple weeks of looking at the Psalms, that repentance is the picture of a man walking one way towards his own sin, yet he has a change of mind, a change of heart, and he does a 180, and he walks the other way towards Jesus Christ, turning from his sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is lost now in preaching, but I want you to know that today, right here in Psalm 130, the psalmist not only confronts our sins, but he teaches us the need for repentance. You see, Psalm 130 is part of a group of psalms called the penitential psalms. Psalms that teach us to come to God in repentance. And this psalm is going to teach us That if our God kept a record of our sins, there's nobody in this room who could stand in front of that God. We would be a people without hope. But while this psalm, yes, it does confront our sins, it's going to teach us that with God, and because of what God has done in our lives, we have hope, not in ourselves, but in a God who forgives our sins. Today, beloved, this psalm breaks down into five parts. If you have your bulletin with you this morning, if you'll turn on the back, you'll see an outline of the five different points of this sermon. But if you would, join me as we walk through Psalm 130, and let's see why this psalmist calls out, out of the depths, because that's the first line of this sermon. Let's look, look first of all, At point number one, the depths of despair. Look back with me at verses one through two. The psalmist cries out, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Out of the depths. That's the title of our sermon today. Out of the depths. What is the psalmist saying when he says, out of the depths? What he's telling us is that he is a man who's in trouble. He's in despair. It's like a man, picture this, it's like a man being out in the middle of the ocean by himself, 
No one is around. He's by himself. He's all alone. He is in a sea of trouble, and he needs help. And he cries out to God when chaos is coming his way. He is overwhelmed. You know, we've seen this before as we've studied the Psalms. If you remember back in Psalm 46, the psalmist said, The earth beneath my feet, God, it's giving way. The mountain that I'm standing on, God, has been swallowed up by the sea. I need your help, God. The waters around me are roaring. They're they're foaming. The mountain is giving way. I'm falling down. God, I call out to you. So this is a picture of a man who is in need or in trouble. But what does he do? What does he do in the depths of his despair? You see it in verse 1. He cries out. He cries out not to himself or any person around him. He cries out to God and to God alone. My voice makes a plea to you, O Lord. So believers here today, one of the first things this psalm teaches us is that we need to call out to God in prayer. That the response of a Christian in the time of trouble should be calling out to God in prayer prayer. As this psalmist says, Lord, may your ears be attentive. Let's walk through some of the scriptures and see how this is done. Do you remember in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they were on the second missionary journey. There was a slave girl there who was demon-possessed. Through the power of Christ, she was made whole. The people there didn't like it in Philippi. And they took Paul and Silas, they put them in prison, they shackled them. But the Bible says that that night, as they were in their cells, they were singing Songs and what? Praying. They were calling out to God in prayer in their time of need. You think about Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was at a time of war. The Bible says the Moabites and the Ammonites were getting ready to come upon him. Jehoshaphat set his face towards God in prayer. He fasted and he called the whole country to come and pray to God in a time of distress. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was going through hardship in the garden, right before he went to the cross, he spent time praying as the Son of God to his heavenly Father, calling upon the Lord. Beloved, let us never forget what a great blessing prayer is. Prayer is the opportunity for the creation to call out to its creator. That mere man can call upon the sovereign, all-powerful God, and we can go directly to him because of what Christ has done for us. We can go directly to the throne of grace. And God wants us to run, as this psalmist did, run to him and say, Lord, out of the depths I cry to you. Lord, open your ears to me. Hear my plea. For mercy. But as we zoom in to the situation here in Psalm 130, we ask the question what's causing the despair of the psalmist? What's, what is specifically his situation in life? Is it, is it like Acts 16? Like Paul and Silas? Is he being persecuted for his faith? Is it a time of war, like Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20? It's actually neither one of those. 
Is it like Jesus who's just going through, getting ready to face a difficult time, calling out to his heavenly Father? Is it that? It's not that. Well, what is it? What's going on in the, in the psalmist's heart for him to cry out to God like this? If it's not persecution, war, or hardship, if it's not something like sickness or disease, what is it? Verse 3 gives us the answer. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? For this psalmist, it's the guilt of his own sin. It's seeing his sin for what sin is in front of a holy God and recognizing how depraved he really is and how much in need of God he is in his life. His sin is bringing him to pray to God. We see his request for mercy in verse 2. The psalmist says, Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for what? For mercy. In other words, God, have mercy for my sins. And verse 3 again teaches us that record of wrongs. Look at verse 3 one more time. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Marking iniquities, keeping a record of wrongs. You know, so many people in this world keep records of wrongs. You go down to the police department, if you're a criminal, you have a record. People can look back and see what you have done, and if you get too much on that record, you're going to pay a fine, you're going to go to prison. Colleges, schools, they keep records of wrongs, maybe academic wrongs, maybe uh, you do socially wrong things at a school or a a university, you might get such a big record that you're going to be kicked out of the school. Even your, your work will keep a record of wrongs. Everyone has a personnel manual. If you don't abide by the manual, you get a record of wrongs. You might get laid off. You might get fired from your job. So many people keep a record of wrongs. So with that in mind, I want you to think about this. What if God kept a record of our sins? As this verse says, what if the Lord marked iniquities? What if that happened in our lives? Now, I brought this book today. It's kind of a big book. It's got 608 pages in it. Let's pretend that every page of this book is a record of our sin. I've got an example I want to put up on the screen here in just a second. This is an illustration from Dr. D. James Kennedy. He, he said, imagine it this way. Suppose in your life, in my life, that we committed three sins a day, three violations of God's law, sins of thought, word, deed, even omission, things that we do that go against the law of a holy God. Well, if you do the math, Dr. Kennedy said three sins times 365 days, that would be what? How many sins in a year? 1,095 sins a year. And if you lived an average age of 70 years and you multiplied that by 70, that would be 76,650 sins in a lifetime. So as we talk about keeping a record of wrongs, let's ask this question. What if you stood 
before the judge of all the earth, the one who was completely sovereign and knew everything about you. And in your record book of sin, 76,650 times there was a violation that you committed against this judge. Now, again, think about this book. This book has 608 pages in it. If we gave each page just one sin, you wouldn't just need this book. You would need at least 126 copies of this book that would talk about how many sins we've committed against this holy God. If God kept a record book of your sin, if he kept a record book of my sin, let's ask the same question that the psalmist asked, who could stand? If you brought over 76,000 violations to the police department, 76,000 violations to whatever college you attended, I think we would be kicked out of that college. I think we would be put in prison. Think about just three, and three's a minimum. That many violations against the God of the universe, who could stand? The answer, of course, is no one. No one can stand. I'm going to put the next slide up because this is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says to us that the wages of sin is death. That you take all 76, 650 violations that are in this record of wrongs and you bring it before a holy God. God says in his word that those violations are going to earn something. They're like wages. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That is eternal separation from a holy God in a place called hell. And the Bible says to you and to me that there's nothing, not one thing that we by ourselves can do about that. We can't do anything. The wages of sin, what we earn from this record book is death. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that this actually makes us the object of God's wrath. That his wrath is aimed towards us. And beloved, this is terrible news. It's terrible news because there's nothing you and I can do about that. But praise God for verse 4. You see, verse 3 takes us all the way down into the depth of despair. Just so verse 4 can bring you right out of it and show you the goodness and the grace of God. Let's read those verses together one more time, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? And here it is. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Underline the words, with you, not with me. There's nothing I can do about this, but with you, God, you offer forgiveness. So the question comes to us today, how does God forgive our sins? Let's keep using this record book. And here's another D. James Kennedy illustration. Dr. Kennedy said, imagine this hand is your life, and in your life is your record book of sin. That everything that you have done 76,000 plus or minus, whatever it is, is in that record book. And here's God. He says, what comes between you and God? It's our sin. 
that we can't get to God because of our sin. We can't wipe it off. We can't clean it off. We can't be good enough to get this off. We are hopeless in this situation. But Dr. Kennedy said, when we couldn't come to God, God came to us. You see, the gospel says that God, because he loved us, he sent his only son to this world to be exactly where we are. He was bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He was the God-man. Christ robed himself in our humanity without ceasing to be God. And here's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus did something that we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross. And this record book that belongs to me, this record book that belongs to you, on the cross, Jesus took it from us. It was our sin that held him on that cross. It wasn't the nails. It was our sin that held him there. And every single thing I had done wrong in mind, in word, in deed, in omission, everything was nailed to the cross and put on Jesus Christ. And the sinless Son of God took our sin and he died with it. And the Bible says when he died, he was buried. But he rose the third day. And when he rose the third day, the sin that was on our life, that sin, Christ defeated it because he left it in the grave. It was finished. He had conquered it. And Christ rose from the grave and he ascended back up into heaven so that now because of what Christ has done, we can now have a relationship with God. We can now have our sins forgiven, removed as far as the east is from the west because Christ took the record book of our sin. Beloved, ask the question, if God counted iniquities, if he kept the record book of your sin, could you stand? Could you stand on your own? We can't. But with you, God, with you, verse 4 says, there is forgiveness. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ will forgive your sin. Jesus Christ will wash you white as snow. And that you can have this free gift of salvation by faith in Him. Faith is trusting in Jesus Christ, believing that He died on the cross for you, that He rose again for you, that He took your sin and asked Him to be your Savior and be your Lord because He will. He will never refuse anyone who asks Him to come in to their life. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have your sins forgiven? The Bible moves forward. In the end of verse 4, it says, Lord, with you there is forgiveness that what? That you may be feared. You see, this is forgiveness that leads to fear. And I'm not talking about a feeling of terror or fright. God doesn't want to forgive your sins so that you can be afraid of Him and scared of Him. That's not what the fear of the Lord means. I'm talking to have about a reverent awe of God and a worshipful response to, what he, to who He is and what He's done. And the Bible says to us that none of us can have a proper fear of the Lord without knowing God, and the only way we can know God is through Jesus Christ. So knowing Christ leads to this reverent awe of who God is and what He has done for you. As one commentator said, to fear God is to know God. The 
The psalmist moves on in verses 5 and 6 to his next point. It's what I call waiting with the Word. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I have hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. You could say in a sense, God is calling the psalmist to patience. And not only is he waiting for his sins to be forgiven, but as you see, verse 5 says, he's waiting on what? On the Lord himself. The psalmist just doesn't want to have his sins wiped clean. He wants a relationship with God. And he waits patiently for his God. And it uses this illustration. It repeats it twice in verse 6, like watchmen for the morning, like watchmen for the morning. Have you ever had a really long night when something's on your mind and on your heart and you just can't sleep and you're just awake all night long for some reason and you think to yourself, will this night ever end? I keep waiting for the morning. That's the feeling that this psalmist has. He's like that watchman waiting for the morning. His soul is waiting for the Lord. It's a longing for God, like the one who is waiting on the morning. The morning is coming. You know, the night might seem endless, but the morning's coming. God's salvation is coming. The Lord will deliver him because he said he will deliver him. But as the psalmist waits, what is he waiting with? And believers, this is where our faith needs to grow, right here. The psalmist is not just waiting with nothing in his hands. The psalmist is waiting what? With the Word of God in his hands. Waiting with the Word. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I hope. Holding on to the Scriptures in a time of trial is a very precious thing. And I want to encourage you, hold on to God's Word. That means that we have to meditate on it, we have to memorize it, so you can have it when you need it. You have to hide it in your heart, because God's promises are true. So I ask you a question. As the psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, what is the... What is the depth in your life right now? What's going on in your life right now that you are crying out to God? For some of you, it might be feeling alone. You feel, you feel all alone. I encourage you to know the promise that God says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. For some of you, it might be that you're lacking assurance of your salvation. You struggle with that. That's an anxiety for you. If, if that is you, wait with the Word of God. The Word of God which says no one will snatch you out of God's hands. Maybe you're anxious 
about something, you're nervous about something, you're worried about something, if that is you, as you wait on the Lord, wait with His Word in your hand, the Word that says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, with prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He goes back to our talk on prayer. God wants you to call out to Him. You're not alone. He is with you. And if you're like this psalmist, and you're waiting on God because you want your sins forgiven, wait with verses 3 and 4 by saying, God, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You can have your sins forgiven. It is such a precious thing to wait with the Word of God. And that brings us to our final point. Plentiful redemption, I call it, from verses 7 and 8. Look at the text. O Israel, hope. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him, underline this, is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. It's not how you start, it's how you end. Because if you took the start of this psalm and the end of this psalm, they're completely different, aren't they? Let's compare them. At the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist is crying out, out of the depths. He is in despair. But at the end of this psalm, what's the things he's talking about in these last two verses? Hope, love, and redemption. At the beginning of this psalm, he's talking about a record of sins. And now at the end of this psalm, he's talking about forgiveness from God. And he gets to the point in this, these last two verses where he says, with God is plentiful redemption. Synonyms are abundant redemption. Much more, many redemption. Do you remember the verse Daryl spoke to us a few moments ago when he read from Romans 5? Romans 5 verse 20 says this, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's plentiful redemption in Christ. That sin cannot weigh our Lord down. Jesus Christ defeated sin. He conquered it. He left it dead. And the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ, beloved, will cover all of our sins. As we conclude this morning, several things we can all take away from this sermon. I believe, first of all, as we mentioned earlier before, in your time of trouble, the Bible teaches us not just to keep that all internalized, talking to yourself about it, worrying about it. It teaches us to call out to God. It teaches us to pray. Paul prayed in persecution. Jehoshaphat prayed in war. Jesus prayed when he was going through his own hardship. This psalmist prays when the weight of his sin was pouring down on him, he cried out to God. And he recognized that if God decided to pull out that record book of my sin, 
of his sin, of your sin, if God decided to pull that out and lay it before us, there's not any one of us who could stand. But the good news for you and for me is that Christ came to where we are, took it, died with it, was buried. He defeated it, rose again, and ascended into heaven. You see, with God, there is forgiveness. With Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. If you don't know Christ, know that you can't get rid of that record book on your own. If you don't know Christ, one day you will stand before a sovereign, almighty God who knows everything about your life. And he'll say that the wages of sin is death. But the end of that verse teaches us that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember what Jesus did with your record book. Teach your children what God has done with their record books. And wait patiently for the Lord. And as you wait on the Lord, don't wait alone. Wait with his word in your hand. Memorize the promises of Scripture because when you go through trial, you hang on to that which is sure and right and true. That's the Word of God. And know that He'll give you plentiful, plentiful redemption where grace, or where sin abounded, where sin increased. Grace did much more abound. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we want to deal with a subject that you came to die for, which is our own sins. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to uh, erase it from the Bible. But we want to view it as you have taught us to view it. Lord, help us to realize our absolute need of you, to call out to you in prayer, and to recognize our own limitations, our need to repent, to come unto thee, and the forgiveness which you offer through the blood on the cross. Lord, help us to wait with the word in your hands when we're going through trials, holding on to your promises and not our own, knowing that you give us plentiful redemption, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.